BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to Friend of a Friend. I'm your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of the show, where we get to sit down, meet a new friend, and go inside the minds of some of the most innovative and creative forces shaping our world today. Today's guest is Mark Groves. He is a human connection specialist and speaker whose purpose is to help individuals and companies step into their most authentic, effective, loving selves by way of his bold, no bullshit relationship guidance. He actually discovered his passion for helping people after having gone through his own devastating breakup that he couldn't get over and is now a leading expert in the personal growth space through his community of close to a million followers and his new app, Mind. For those of you who haven't checked out the app yet, I cannot recommend it enough. It kind of feels like having a bunch of your best friends at your apartment while you're going through something. It honestly just feels like a big hug. The app hosts experts that cover topics ranging from dealing with getting over relationships, cultivating money mindfulness, leadership, self-discovery, and so much more with experts ranging from marriage and family therapists, sex and relationship therapists, life coaches, activists, spiritual healers, and so much more. If you want to download it, head to the description of this episode now. We have a link there ready for you guys. I know you will love it. We had an incredible conversation about how he's built his business around human connection. And of course, we answered all of the questions that were submitted by you guys via Instagram last week. Like how to ask your partner to meet the parents for the first time, where to meet people off dating apps, how can you seek independence in a relationship, does long distance work, and so much more. I hope you guys love this episode and really use it as a resource. If you haven't followed the show yet and you find yourself coming back and listening, take the time to follow it so that you don't miss us every week. And if you love the show, share it with a friend and share it on social. I love seeing when you guys are listening. So take a screenshot and tag me when you do. I always reshare and I will usually say hi. Here's my friend, Mark Groves. I always like to ask my guests, especially right now where I feel like there's a ton of things going on today. How are you feeling today? What's on your mind? Mm, how am I feeling today? I am feeling a little stretched. That's probably true. A little, uh, I wouldn't say overwhelmed, but like present to all of the moving parts. Because, you know, before we started recording, I was telling you that we were driving back to Canada tomorrow. So there's like a lot of things that need to get done. And just like a lot of trepidation about crossing borders and, you know, all the things that happen. I also feel like it's taken me mentally a second to like readjust to stress that is like, that's work stress. I mean, I feel like I gratefully had work throughout COVID, but when you add in social pressures and obligations and things back again, it's interesting to, to refeel that, that pressure and that stress and that constant on the go. Yeah. You know, I never, you know, I didn't really consider what you're saying because I, one, I haven't really been around a lot of people because I'm in like wild, I'm in like the rural part of near Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So I haven't really been around anyone. So I haven't had any social, (laughs) I haven't had any social life. Everything's been Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. It's been Zoom meetings and hiking, you know, so it's been That's one thing, though, that I've been really fascinated about is the psychology or sort of the psychological strain that online meetings have. And I was reading this study that spoke about how 
when we're on digital meetings, we're highly sort of attuned to the person we're talking to, right? Because we have their screen, we have our screen, or we have nine people's screens. And we only ever have that level of focused attention for really intimate relationships in in in-person human experiences. So I was really fascinated by that of like how much psychological strain we have and fatigue because we're having to be more attuned than we usually would be, which is probably why so many people have their freaking Zoom on, you know, their camera off and they're blending yeah. and they're doing, <laughs> make coffee. No one's actually listening in those work ones. On that note, I, when I first discovered you and I was on your Instagram, I would say the first thing that popped out to me was the title that you go by, which is a human connection specialist. I have not heard anybody call themselves that before. And it resonated with me a lot because I feel like that's something that I strive towards in the sense Mm -hmm. of always being a friendly face, a friendly person that people can go to on the internet. And I think you serve that purpose as well. You're always somebody that people can go to for solace and comfort. And so I'd love to hear how that title for you came about, especially in today's world where I feel like we have so many entrepreneurs out there that are figuring out how to title themselves. Would love to hear that origin story for you. Yeah, you know, that was such a, uh, you know, I think uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, it's a moment in all entrepreneurs' lives where you choose your business name, you choose perhaps uh, what you might call your business or yourself. You know, I really, I, I went back, I used to study human relationships from a perspective of sales. So like, how do I get someone to switch behavior or change products? Mm-hmm. I used to actually be a pharmaceutical rep, uh, which I think I'm reinvesting my karmic work now is, is to make that back. Uh, and no, uh, no insult if you're a pharma rep and you're listening to this. Um, but what I found was that I had a relationship that ended and I just sort of realized like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? Like I was really successful at sales and clearly it wasn't a skill set issue. There was like something really going on there that was more, I mean, at the time I didn't understand it, but just more unconscious social programming perhaps, or just, you know, so all the things that, that frame why we are the way we are. And that began the journey of just wanting to understand human behavior on a romantic sense. Cause I was like, I got to understand this. Like this is, I've been told this story that you get married by 30 and you have kids by that. sorry. You get married by 27 ish. That age might've pushed uh, from when I was taught. Maybe it's like 30, 32 and you have kids around that same time. And if you don't, you sort of feel broken. You feel like there's something wrong with you. And I was 27 when that relationship ended And I was sort of living in the feeling of like, I'm a failure that I couldn't choose this. People told me I was just afraid of commitment because I was engaged at the time. And I felt that that really negated my human experience, that like this was really stressful for me. Just because I ended the relationship didn't mean that it wasn't incredibly painful and hurting someone, obviously, to choose yourself is sort of like one of, I would say, one of life's ultimate tests. And I, I, as a rep, I really understood science. I studied papers all the time, clinical trials. I picked them apart. So I started to read all the, the data and the research on romantic relationships. I started to study positive psychology. I went back to school, took that. I started to write about connection, relationships, and I started to sort of bridge this sort of romantic relationship conversation and just general human connection. I, I think what's been fascinating is well, one, I chose the title because I didn't want to be pigeonholed into like being a coach, sort of quote unquote. And I felt yeah. like the world of coaching had, it kind of felt like realtors, you know, there was just so many and it was really hard to sort of differentiate oneself from another. I didn't want to be a relationship coach because then you just get put into romantic relationships. And, you know, I think as most people will find if they discover my work is that we might start with your breakup or we might start with something but it's just a gateway. It's just a gateway to look at the things that we don't do well. I think romantic relationships are a magnifying glass to our greatest challenges, our greatest quote unquote, I'll call it dysfunctions. And, and so it seems to be the place that we're most willing to look to. And maybe that's because of the frequency of the pain we experience in romantic relationships. And maybe in part because of what Disney has done, which has taught us oh to God. fall in love yes. and, and just, you know. So that's how it came about. I just felt like it didn't put me in a box and then it allowed me the fluidity to talk at a business or to talk about leadership, to talk about 
you know, all these different things. It's all the same skills. I know that. I've, I've built a business. My employees and I, we all recognize you have human system dynamics like a family system. It's all the same stuff. And the way we handle conflict, we might have a little more emotional resilience or willpower in our workplace or our friendships than we would in our romantic relationships. That's so interesting what you said about Disney, because I do think I'm always really interested in seeing the things in my adult life that I have to unlearn from my childhood. And I often reflect back on the movies that I watched as a child and how deeply they impacted me and my perception on what romantic relationships specifically should look like. So true. Like think about all of the ones that really taught that a woman should sort of be in distress or like need a man and need to be saved. And that was certainly, you know... I think the idea that I had to be a provider or be the one saving was also a lot of pressure because, yeah. you know, I, I think of a lot, if you go back and look, and I'm sure you've done this, but, you know, for you listening, if you go back and look at like ads from the 1950s, the 1960s, and you look at sort of what were those ads teaching to people, but especially in the context of those ads, you look, it's what they taught to women, which was to take care of a man, to be of service to the man, to, you know, some of the ads are really awful. And you think like the 1950s, 1960s, it's not that long ago. Like that's like some people's moms and that's other people's grandmas. That's other people's great grandmas. You know, so there's lots of generations who have been influenced by that. And, you know, you look and you think like when you, when you want something from relationship today and you don't take into account what has shaped you in a very unconscious way or shaped your parents, you're not taking the full picture. And that's why it's so easy to stay in a relationship that's dysfunctional because someone else taught you to do that. So, you know, movies, television shows, they all sort of socialize us to have an expectation or to negate our actual needs and desires, which is really weird. Yeah. We just feel like, oh, this is what that looked like. I have that. Why would I, why would I want something else? Right. Like, why can't you be grateful for what you have? You know, like that's often an answer people give to someone who wants more from life. And that could be from work. That can be from romance. That could be from just our own experience of ourselves. And I think that is always one of the first feelings that is leading to the possibility of an awakening, which an awakening being not necessarily sitting on a mountain in India, but like it just being starting to ask, why do I do what I do is really being conscious to self. And, and, and that first feeling is, is there something more here? I feel like there's more to life, to this, to work, to relationship, to love, to, to just presence even. Maybe it's just like having an absence of joy and saying like, I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. I love that. I'm thinking you just hearing you and no offense to today's generation in any way, but I do think that I'm 27 and I definitely feel like I'm in a generation that feels very emotionally detached. And talking to you, you have such a profound emotional intelligence. And I wonder if that's something that you think that you've cultivated over your life or if it's something that you feel that you're born instinctually with, if that makes sense. Mm, It's a great question. You know, first off, thank you. I appreciate that, that compliment. I'd say it's it's both nature and nurture. Actually, I don't even want to say it's nature because that dismisses that we can all learn it. Right. We can all learn it, just like relationships can always be learned. There's a great book called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm, and he talks about how there's no thing that humans fail at more than love, yet never take the time to learn. And that, to me, is what's so fascinating about relationships, that we just expect ourselves to be good at it. We just like think, oh, you just get in a relationship. You start maybe when you're 13, 15, 17, whatever, right. 20. doesn't really matter. Even the judgment of what age we start is just a socialization. And so you start relating and then you just think you're going to be good. And you're, of course, you're not good. You, why would you be good? You've never done that thing before. And if it was any other skill in life, we'd go to school, we'd learn about it. We'd read books, we'd consume podcasts, we'd, we'd do something. And I was lucky in a lot of ways being born into a family with a father who is really charismatic, really emotionally intelligent. He worked with people. He was a researcher. So that is not a common uh, characteristic of what you might say as a researcher in a lab, but he managed people and 
he was the one who I would often talk to about my breakups and talk to about what I was going through. And he would give me a lot of advice about love and, and, and people. And we would have long talks. We still have long talks about just the human condition. And, and so that really, you know, we learn by observing as kids. And, and that's why technology can be such a harmful thing because when kids are looking at an iPhone or an iPad, they're not actually observing people model empathy and communication and and so I was lucky I didn't grow up with cell phones weren't a thing yet. Computers weren't till I was really young or till I was like 10, maybe 12. Yeah, I mean, like I have taken a lot of time to study human behavior and it was the primary motivation was initially to like to get people to change their behavior, but not from like a positive impact sort of way, but from like an actual manipulative uh, sales perspective. And and also when I went through heartbreak, it was reading books about like pickup artistry and trying to understand why am I not good with women? Why do I feel like I'm chasing them and they don't want me? You know, like, can I just learn these skills? But then you realize those are all so contrived. They're yeah. fake and inauthentic and manipulative. And so it was still sort of the same shit. So, you know, those skills were being honed, but they were being honed with, I would say, um, not malignant intention, but just like not not ideal intention. We'll be right back after a quick break. Is there anything worse than a really cold cup of coffee? If you're like me, who's a huge coffee lover, I have to have coffee every morning. So I make it around 8 a.m. and I actually keep it on my desk until like 2 p.m. So most of the time I'm drinking cold coffee, which is why I am so excited that I discovered the Ember Mug. The Ember Mug is a temperature-controlled smart mug that keeps your coffee or tea hot until the very last sip. You set your preferred drinking temperature with the Ember app. Yes, it is that high-tech, guys. And your Ember Mug will keep it there, ensuring a perfect delicious sip each time. With a sleek design and a really easy-to-use app, Ember has a long-lasting built-in battery, so you can sip your coffee in any room of the house without it getting cold. And when you're ready to recharge, just place it on the included charging coaster. The Ember app even notifies you when your preferred drinking temperature is reached. So no more burning your mouth or running to the microwave once it gets cold. The Ember mug is available in 10 ounces, 14 ounces, and a travel mug. So there's something for everybody, whether you're working from home or you're on the go. And Ember just released a stunning new rose gold edition, which is actually the one that I have and I love. It looks so great on my desk to add to their metallic collection. And the new mug is a perfect pop of color for any work from home setup and makes an ideal gift for any coffee or tea lover. First time Ember customers can use my code friend for 10% off a purchase of $129 or more at ember.com. Now let's get back to the show. Your Instagram is beloved by almost a million people. I can't tell you how many people reached out to me when I posted that you were coming on the show saying they were so excited to hear from you. Mm. And I would love to hear a little bit. I'm sure this is like, somewhat of a conflicting emotion, but to work on such an emotional note and then also use that as the pillar of your business, whether it's via Instagram, via your app, which I love, by the way, and we will get into. But I'd love to hear a little bit about what those initial reflections were as you were starting your business of what the pillars of your business would be. Wow. You asked really great questions. Thanks. You know, my business, I started writing about relationships more so. So I started like a blog and and started working with people. And my first articles were really what I felt what my writing was doing, which led to how I used my Instagram at first, especially, was that my writing was really this sort of like shame exorcism that I could write about the things that I'd done wrong or not been good at and then what I'd learned from them. And hopefully, because I was saying things that most people didn't talk about, uh, perhaps it would allow other people. I didn't know this at the time, but this was really what was occurring was other people were feeling witnessed through me saying things other people weren't willing to say to sort of just acknowledge my own humanness, my own shittiness sometimes, my own manipulation, you know, as I mentioned about sales. And, and that was true with relationships and with women. And, and I think when, you know, when I first started my Instagram, I had been dating this woman who ran social medias for companies. And she was like, you should start an Instagram. And I was like, what's Instagram? And we broke up not long thereafter, actually. And I was like, well, maybe I'll start this Instagram thing. And, and I posted a quote and I wrote about the quote and, 
I remember I maybe was, you know, a couple weeks into it and, you know, as everyone always does is they always give you advice as to unsolicited advice as to how you should be doing things. And I remember people would say to me, uh, your Instagram is not a place for long form content. It's for pictures and photographers. And I was like, great. That's great. I guess there won't be other people competing writing what I'm writing then. That sounds awesome. And I really started to just write from this place of, I remember thinking like I could post any quote about female empowerment and get lots of engagement. Right. And, And I was like, every intention of my post was post to change one life. And not to get likes, not to because that was easy to fall into the egoic sort of desire for fame or desire for success or likes as we all, I think we can all get caught up in. And when I changed that intention, what inevitably happened, because I remember just thinking about it uh, and making that commitment, is I would always get on a post like, thank you, I needed this today. Mm. And, it's a good and that was it. Yeah, that was it. That was like, wow, like me taking this moment to just share something that's true for me or a thought or a way I think about things or I'm curious about has allowed someone else to like from around the world to just like have a transformative experience. And I think that's the beautiful part of technology that we, you and I would not be in this conversation had neither of us started pursuing something that was just a thought at at some time. There was something two days ago that you did that was really impactful to me. And it was something that was very small, but I think it's a testament to you as a communicator and the way in which your work shows up. And I feel like you also do this with your app, but you and I were talking over Instagram DM. And instead of messaging me, you immediately went to a voice note. Mm. And I think my friends hate me because I FaceTime, I voice note. I am like like anything on the other spectrum of a simple text you will get from me. Because I want that that like physical touch point. I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face. Like I don't I don't need to have like a text conversation with you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you're doing that now, especially with your app mind, which is you guys, if you have not downloaded this app yet, you have to. It's like having a bunch of best friends who are walking you through whatever issue you're dealing with in your house with you at all times. It's an incredible resource. And I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about it. Oh my gosh, I love that description. That's what I'm it just feels like. Wrap that up and go <laughs> and keep it. Yeah, I, I I love what you're saying about the voice memoing, the FaceTiming, because my friends also are, they've given me a rule, a lot of them that I can't do over a minute, which I understand. I get it. You're not getting uh, that from me. There's no way. It's usually like two <laughs> well, minutes. I'll ramble. I'll be like, um, so, okay. Wait, next voice note. <laughs> it's so much faster than much texting faster. and it's so much more depth. And, and, you know, I remember speaking to a sociologist that works for Bumble hmm. and we were on an emotional health panel at uh, like a wellspring. It was a wanderlust event. And I remember someone asking about like, why is calling a red flag? And she said, uh, it's not. It's just that any behavior that we've made not normal, we then flag as abnormal even though that's a deeply more intimate behavior to call. And, yeah. you know, we we flag it as abnormal and too much only because we've normalized the idea that that we don't call each other. And isn't it so fascinating, like, to think, like, two people negotiating a time to talk, uh, uh, to do this conversation, and and thank you for graciously being able to reschedule it, is, is that we should be hearing each other's voice. We should, yeah. you, we've, we're trading time, which is the most essential uh, and the only thing we can't get back. And, and I always think there's just something you can hear within a voice. And I think to bring things to that more personal level is always important. And I, you know, that's really where mind was sort of created from was with my co-founder, Aaron Albert, was he had the experience of being someone who consumed my work and and was like, hey, like I found you through this experience. And I feel like so many other people need other, you know, need teachers and we need to be able to find it. And I at the same time was really thinking like, how do we create a social media platform that leaves you better than when you found it? Because mm-hmm. so much of the research shows that when you consume Instagram or Facebook, that you actually feel shittier about yourself. And it's like, 
wait, what happens if we create it? And so we really thought like, what happens if we created the world's first emotional network? That's actually about like improving well-being. And I love that you said that it's like having a group of your best friends. And that's so cool to hear. I really, to hear that from you really means a lot because all the people that are on there and there's more teachers to come are incredible teachers and the sort of core tenant of them. And, and this is true. You asked previously about my own page, my own work is integrity. It's like actually living what you teach, like actually embodying transformation. Actually, when I say something that I, you know, it's not full of shit that like just right. the energetic of what I say, it's like, have hard conversations. I had three of them last week, real fucking hard conversations. And I do it all the time because it makes them not hard anymore at least on some level, it makes them a little more normalized. But I think there's something about that, that, that when a teacher or just a human is embodied, because even to call them teachers sort of makes, creates this sort of hierarchy. And we have so many cool features coming to, to really build community because that's what we wanted to was like, it's so great when you consume a piece of information and you're like, oh, other people are going through this human thing too. And you're like, wait, I'm not broken. This is common. Right. And you're like, woohoo. And maybe you're hurting at the same time, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You guys cover so many topics. I can read off a few relationships, long distance relationship, cultivating money, mindfulness, leadership, self-discovery, and so much more. And I honestly, I was on there the other day. And something that I think about often in the same vein that I think about why we aren't taught to do our taxes in school is- I, I don't know what the class would be called, but I always thought it was interesting that we didn't have some sort of relationship, human connection class. Like uh. I had a life skills class, but that was about sex ed. But what about the other side? It's interesting that we we don't have anything that sets us up for for success in that. And I feel like this app is a good place to start. It's something that we all need to get good at and not wait till we have to, but choose to. Most of us change our lives when we hit a bottom. Right. You don't have to. You could literally be like, I could get better at this thing. And then we're like, yeah. no, nah, I'll just wait till that thing buries me. You can you also know? like figure out a way to acknowledge when you're on the way to that bottom right. and get yourself out of it. Yeah, not ski down. Right. right. Like actually put on the brakes and do some mountain climbing, you know? But the thing about mountain climbing that people don't like is the cardiovascular effects, the cardiovascular effort on the way up, but the view is worth it. Totally. In the spirit of tackling issues while you have them, I'm really excited about this next part because I posted on Instagram that you were coming on the show. I left an open forum for my followers to submit anonymous questions, situations that they're in. And we got some pretty good ones. I honestly am excited for you to answer them. And I'm excited that you guys trusted us to get these on the air today. So let's dive right in. The first one, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one. I really want to meet my boyfriend's family. We've been dating for nine months. How do I bring it up? Oh, mm-hmm. what an exciting moment that is. Totally. When you get brought into the familial systems and you get to realize everybody's family has their, <laughs> their stuff. <laughs> uh, I think you just bring it up. I think you can do it in a way that, you know, often sometimes will we'll lead with something like, hey, you haven't introduced me to your family yet. You know, we criticize. Yes. This is so. This is when I looked at the question. I was actually sitting here with one of my best friends and I go, Oh God, like I cannot give advice on this one because me, I would be like, Is something wrong that you haven't introduced me yet? Am I doing something? Are you weird? Is something wrong? Like I would immediately go to the accusatory instead of just being like, Hey, I'd love to meet your family if it's something you're open to. Well, and again, like I think, you know, for so many people can relate to what you're saying because we're, I'm more anxiously attached. So I would certainly be like, why haven't I met? If I'm not conscious of my attachment style and my process, uh, but I would reorganize it. And, and, and so, so many of the things we do, we, we, we criticize when really behind every criticism is a desired behavior. So we say, you never do that thing. But really what we're saying is, I like it when you do this thing, but we don't say that. And that's usually because someone taught us to connect through criticism. And so when we hear hear it modeled to lead by appreciation, to lead by curiosity. And so we could say, hey, I'm really loving what's going on here. I'd love to introduce you to my family. How do you feel about that? And hear how they feel about that. And if they say, 
hey, you know what? I'm like a little cautious about leading, you know, introducing you to my family. Often again, that will trigger like, they're not ready. They're this, they're that. Instead, it's just being curious. Like, what is it about meeting your family that makes you anxious or concerned? And, and, not personalizing it. It's not to say that sometimes there aren't underlying uh, yeah, unresolved relational issues. My, my response, like I, I think it would be really hard for me to not be like, if my boyfriend was like, uh, you know, I'm not ready and not really give an explicit reason why, I would be like, this is a red flag. If you're not giving a reason why, I would definitely, especially if it's combined with other avoidant and like, commitment phobia sort of behaviors. So if like they don't call you their partner, their boyfriend, Mm. their girlfriend or whatever, their person, they don't post about you on social media, but they post about other things in life. You know, they're like, this pizza was so good. And you're like, why don't you post about me? I don't post about partners. I just post about pizza, right? Like when there's other things, what we do is we get caught up in the content. Why can't I meet your family or you're not ready? When really what we're seeking is, I don't feel safe and I don't feel secure and meeting your family would make me feel more serious when I actually underlying, I don't feel like there's something as serious going on as I would like. Mm. On this note, what's your best piece of advice for when you do meet the parents? Yeah, I'd say first, keep your opinions to, <laughs> to yourself. <laughs> I was about yeah. to be like, he's about to be like, be yourself or like something. And he's like, I don't know. Like, just don't yeah. cause a fire. I. He, <laughs> I'd say just, especially the first meetings, you know, it's like, for me, I'm certainly more of an observer in the first meetings. I'm a super outgoing, love talking to people. But in the first meetings, I'm sort of like putting my best foot forward, being curious, asking lots of questions, make sure they're talking more than I am. You know, all the things that you want in any good sales (laughs) process. That's a good thing too. Yeah. But I also think find a happy medium. Like I never want to walk away and not have left some sort of impression that, oh, I can either hold a conversation or I'm curious in the people I'm sitting with. I think there's a happy medium. Like, you know. I agree. Yeah. Like at least be curious about getting to know the people you're with. I think that's always a good way to start. I'm no relationship expert. No, I totally agree with you. Like bring your authentic self to the meeting and, and just don't, I just wouldn't suggest talking about politics. I mean, I don't or, suggest that period. Ever. Right. No, that, none of that works. It's awful, especially <laughs> yeah, lately because no. we have such yes. a divisiveness. Um, yes. So just stay on how much you love their partner. Find out about their childhood. Next question. How do I find, I love this question. How do I find a real relationship in my early 20s? I'm 21 and everyone just wants to hook up and do the absolute bare minimum. Hmm. Well, first off, not everyone wants to hook up because I certainly know lots of people in their early 20s who want relationships. And so, agreed. you know, when everyone has that low bar, you know, we talk about that, we might call it like, a, we create low accountability behavior because we're trying to sort of create connection. So if we're not into the hookup culture or hookup sort of no accountability then you just have to declare what you're really looking for. And I know that sounds sort of simple. You just got to declare what you're looking for. But you can't entertain anything that's not it. You know, you have to be, because the moment someone says, I'm not looking for a relationship and you're like, I am, but let's just have fun for a bit. Right. There's really already, we're not really honoring our deepest, truest intention. We're, we're, We're minimizing it in order to maintain the connection. What I think I certainly didn't realize, especially in my early 20s, is that a choice isn't just a choice. You know, it seems like when we're 21, 22, we got time, right? Got lots of time. But when you're 35, you'll be like, my tolerance for bullshit starts to go down. We should take a 45-year-old's bullshit tolerance and give it to 21-year-olds or 20-year-olds, right? Because all of a sudden you realize like, Whatever you're, let's say you, I have a friend who used to be like, yeah, I hook up with this guy on Thursdays, but she was really looking for a relationship. And I was like, Thursdays, Thursdays are such a good night. You should hook up on Sundays or Mondays. That's right. And I was, and I said to her, you're like blocking yourself from going out and beating other people too, by doing that. Right. And I said like, one, you're sending a confusing message to yourself. You're saying, I don't actually want what I say I want, or I don't believe I'm going to get it. You're sending a confusing message to that person and to the people you meet. And also when you're with them, 
you're not somewhere else, someone who's in integrity with their deepest intention would be. And right. it's in that place that you meet someone. You know, like yes. miracles happen all the time. They happen at moments, very unpredictable moments throughout the day when your head's not in your phone and you're walking down the street and you ask someone for directions. Or, and then you get married. <laughs> right, right. Like that's, we don't realize that. that right. That whenever you make one choice, you're foregoing another. Yes. You know? Absolutely. What issue do you see right now in people in their 20s that you think is the most pervasive and most difficult in fostering healthy relationships? I think it's a, the swinging of the pendulum that has occurred relationally, which is, you know, historically, you actually couldn't get divorced unless there was abuse, unless the government right. approved of it. And you could even argue in a lot of some places in the world, that's still not possible. And then you look at what that created. I mean, religions often shame people getting divorced. Cultures, which are often synonymous with religions, shame divorce. So what happened is, is people really, you know, you see, I'm sure you've seen those memes where it has like two people who are like a hundred years old in they're like, oh, we're married 20, 75 years. And then they're like, how did you do it? And it's like, well, when we got married, we took relationships seriously. And you're like, fuck right. off. <laughs> I can't stand that meme because what it does is it creates shame for any trepidation or uncertainty one might experience in commitment and in relationships, which is going to happen. Look, in your lifetime, you will be married to many people and it might be the same person. It's just that they're transforming as you're transforming. And I think one of the sort of things that's about that sort of historic relational model is if people leave too soon now, people stayed far too long then. So, you know, and that was not by choice, right? A lot of people couldn't leave. And I'd say that is still the lingering parts of that are still here. And so I think a lot of young people, including uh, the generations I would identify with, there's so much choice and there's so much access to choice that we we often have a hard time swimming past as uh, the angry therapist talks about he calls it swimming past the breakers that we we mm. don't we don't go past the place where they actually become a human who's flawed and how do you be with someone in that space you know we're sort of addicted to the honeymoon phase of relationships yes. and you know I Eric Fromm talks about this the art of falling in love he talks about how we mistake the feeling of falling in love with being in love. And I think that's such an important mm -hmm. distinction. I, If you had asked me at 27, does the spark always have to be there? Does the, the, the elation? I would have probably said yes. And now I wouldn't say that. I would say the spark that I would have defined previously would have been sort of the uncertainty and the honeymoon and the chaos. Right. Now I would say that spark is actually the security, the safety, the trust. You know, Sue Johnson, who's like the ultimate attachment uh, psychologist researcher, she wrote a book called Love, Sense, and Hold Me Tight. And, and I remember her giving a presentation and she said, the question that every person asks unconsciously in relationship is, if I need you, will you be there for me? And I think that's such an important question because really ultimately what we're always asking relationally is, are you reliable? Yeah. And there's something where we think that reliability or safety is in conflict with sexual desire. And Esther Perel talks about that, that like love and desire at odds, that love wants safety and closeness and blah, 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 and, and desire wants mystery and distance and illusion and all the things. And, and I agree with her, however, I, I think I like have one different perspective, which is I don't think it's love and desire that are at odds. I think it's that freedom and, and love are at odds. That when we have seen people fall in love and lose themselves, that's where desire disappears. If, if I blame you for me not loving me and choosing me and having my own interests, dreams, passions, I'm not going to want to have sex with you. And so I think codependency kills desire. I think self-abandonment kills desire. And I think what we've inherited as a relational model is codependency. And so what we're especially all- Especially after the past year. Oh, fuck, especially after the past year. And, and, and again, that, that even required skills no one was taught. It's like, how do I maintain, or can I even, I might yeah. have to mourn it for a bit, 
my individuation and be in the same 400 square feet as you or 800 square, you know, like. Totally. I remember when my boyfriend first, the first day he went back to the office, I was like, are you sure? You're like, do you have to go? (laughs) Do I have, like, what am I, what am I going to do here all alone all day? And I remember he left and I was like, I cannot believe me, someone who is fiercely independent. Those thoughts even were in my brain, let alone I said them. Oh, for sure. And our relate, I mean, we've been traveling in together for the last nine months, you know, yeah. like I was thinking the other day, like I haven't really, I went to um, a driving range here and just hit some golf balls. And I was like, it's so, so I went for a hike by myself. And I just sort of think sometimes I'm like, I haven't really taken the time and taken responsibility to be present just with me. Totally. Totally. Which I think is actually a good lead up to this next question. Is it okay to want independence in a romantic relationship? How much is too much? What a great lead up. You know, Harriet Lerner, who's a brilliant psychologist, she wrote a book called Dance of Intimacy and Dance of Anger. They're both exceptional books. She talks about how we often choose relationship at the cost of self or choose Mm. self at the cost of relationship. And there shouldn't be an exchange. You should be able to choose yourself and a relationship. And as I was saying, I think like one of the most challenging things is how do I be in love and still be me? Because mm-hmm. what we've observed, depending on our gender too, uh, is generally self-abandonment. And so, yes, you can be independent and be in a relationship. I think it's important to recognize, and my, my dad said this to me when I was young, and I did not understand it then, but I do now, is he said a relationship is a separate organism. There is you, and there is your partner, and then there's the organism that is the relationship that contains both of you. But you're both separate too. And so I remember him saying, like, you have to nurture it. And I was like, sure, dad. Uh, I was like, my partner's complaining. Okay, I don't want to deal with it. But I remember, you know, when I look back, he was so right that the independence, the maintenance of self is actually our responsibility. And when our partner chooses themselves, sometimes we try to get them to not do. They start to pursue a passion. They start to take on something that's new to them. They start working out. They start maybe choosing themselves in whatever way, meditating. And we try to sabotage it or we try to like question it or criticize it. And it's because we're afraid. We're afraid that we are not maintaining ourselves. Resentment's always a perfect sign that you don't have boundaries um, because whatever you resent is a reminder that you don't prioritize yourself. And so that maintenance of independence can be a wall when it becomes this bulletproof place where no one can access you. So I think a good thing to just ask oneself is, does my independence protect me from closeness? And you'll know. The answer will come to you and you might not like the answer, but go with the first answer that comes to you. Hmm. Does my independence protect me from closeness? Meaning like, does it take you away from closeness? Yeah, like a good sentence for people to finish is, when I let people love me, they. Hmm. Or when I love people, they. And what that'll tell you is ultimately what outcomes you're afraid of in relationships. So you might say, when people come close to me, what happens is the last time I let someone close, it what happened was. Mm-hmm. Closeness to me means what I trade for closeness is. And if you finish those sentences and you allow the first answer to come to you, not the one you want to be the answer, you'll start to uncover what unconsciously, like I use independence for. Let's just acknowledge the very real adult truth there. You literally can leave a relationship whenever you want. So if you literally can, and you realize that your partner is an adult who can choose to not choose you, then you recognize that marriages and vows are not prisons, but we think they are. We think like, well, you made a vow. Well, I made a vow to someone who was different. I made a vow when I was different. And I've often thought about that idea of till death do us part. It's like, okay, well, is that the death of, of the part of me that made the commitment? Is it a mortal death yeah. or is it a death of self? Because a lot of people get married when they're like 18 and 20 yeah, or 22. I love what you said earlier about, you know, you are married many times in your life, most likely to the same person. People change. Different chapters of life happen. Well, and if you don't allow the flexibility of your partner, you likely don't allow the flexibility and evolution of yourself. And so we're afraid that they're going to grow away from us. And they will if we try to attach an anvil 
to their leg. You know, when we say the ball and chain, that's not really a great thought of like the old ball and chain. It's like, what is she holding me back from? My partner doesn't hold me back from freedom and evolution. She is a gateway to it. Right. What is your best tip for surviving long distance? Communication. Oh, yeah. There is a series on mine from Vienna Farron just on uh, long distance. But communication, I've done long distance. When Kai and I, I remember, we like didn't see each other for five weeks. And I was like, listen, my need is that we don't go longer than three weeks. I was like, if we're going to continue this, that needs to be an agreement. Um, yeah. We need to, you know, how often do we FaceTime? Do we message goodnight? Do we? None of those things are too much to ask, you know? Yeah. I did long distance for two years and it was the same thing for me where it was like, I don't want to go more than three weeks. I want to hear from you in the morning and at night. Yeah. And like, those were just things that, you know, made me feel secure when there are 3000 miles between the two of you. And I still, you know, I think that was how I felt a part of my partner's life. Just hearing at the end of the day, Hey, what'd you do today? Who'd you see? What was exciting to you? So yeah, I think that if you're doing it, like those boundaries are important to set. 100%. And, and knowing that that idea of like, they nurture the container that is the relationship, the separate organism. You know, so many people say, I don't get what I need from my relationship when the real question is, what does my relationship need from me to mm. feel that way, which mm. is such a shift. Do you feel like there were a lot of moments in res- of resentment in your long distance relationship? Because I always like, I remember when I was in it, I would read a lot because I'd be curious to hear about other people's experiences and how they coped with it, whether it was trips and meeting each other Mm -hmm. or, you know, FaceTime dates or anything like that. And there was a really big common thread of, you know, hearing people have to overcome a lot of resentment and either not being there during certain moments. And I wonder if that's something that you felt as well. And if it was how you overcame it. I think the resentment showed up when an expectation or need I had hadn't been communicated. Mm. So I like sort of resented that it wasn't just obvious <laughs> that right. she knew I needed, you know, a certain amount of communication. And, you know, one of my main love languages is quality time and per- and physical touch. And it's like, well, you don't get those really totally. in long distance. So it pivoted more towards of affirmation. And, mm. and so I realized that and just sort of communicated it real time. You know, one thing that's really, I think, a lesson to be learned from long distance relationships, and I experienced this, I'd be curious if you did, is that uh, we would see each other and go on these sort of really cool adventures. And, yeah. and I remember reading about how that level of adventure and newness in the research is because what we do is we associate the curiosity and the adventure with our partner. So it keeps novelty. And when people are in relationships in the same place, they actually often don't go on adventures anymore. They don't do new things. And so in the research, it shows like if you do new things with your partner, whether you're long distance or not, you actually experience the sense of novelty with them. And I think that's what's to be learned. Like we certainly did tons of adventures together and the relationship was sort of like elating. We were together for the weekend or the week and then I'd go home or she'd go home. Did you experience that? We went from long distance for two years to quarantine. So shit, that's like the opposite. I can't, I love that you just said that because that was something for me that I had a really hard time with. Mm -hmm. I remember maybe halfway through quarantine, I feel like around last summer, I was desperate for something. I was like, we need to go sit on the beach. We need to go for a (laughs) drive. Like I need to do something because I'm like, I also went from living in New York where you're doing something 24-7 to LA where it's a bit more quiet. So I was desperate for that. And we actually ended up planning like a two-week road trip so I could get it out of my system. But it's something now that we actually have, I feel like, implemented into our relationship so much more as these like spontaneous kind of fun, adventurous moments because we do feel that same energy that we felt that was a huge part and a pillar of our relationship in the beginning was just being super adventurous and curious. And I think that's where we we like bonded the most and got to know each other the most was in those moments. Yeah. And we need to keep doing that, right? Yeah, like that's what totally. keeps the excitement alive. It's like you see a new view, you see a, you try a new thing and, and your partner is doing it with you. And I think that's what keeps that best friend sort of experience. Yeah. What is the best way to meet a new person that's not on an app? 
by doing new things, like going yeah. on adventures, going and hiking, going and doing stuff that you love because then you're meeting someone who's doing stuff they love too. What a great energetic space to meet someone. A lot of people during COVID were asking me how to make new friends. And I was like, are we trying to make new friends right now? I, I can't relate. <laughs> Do we but need more friends? Something that I said often was like, who are you seeing at your local coffee shop every day? Who are you seeing on the walk in your neighborhood? Like those people have a, you have an instant relatability and an instant conversation starter just because you are in the same routine. And I always find that that's where the best relationships come out of is having that common ground, whether it's your neighborhood or something bigger. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Especially like, man, same view every day for this COVID walk. You know, like there's so many yeah. ways to initiate. Like, are you taking a new route today? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen any new cool fences or, right. you know? <laughs> I love that. I want to close this with a question that I think is very on brand for us as the host of Friend of a Friend and a community where we're always about kind of lifting each other up. What is, in your mind, the best way to help a friend through a tough situation? Is to ask them what they need. You know, I think we often assume what someone needs or we like go to our own strengths. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned that just through reading of like the best thing to ask is like literally get the, the direct information from the source. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the best thing we can do. I remember once I was going through something very difficult. I had found out somebody had just passed away in my life. My best friend showed up at my house, gave me a hug, didn't give me the whole, I'm so sorry. Mm. I love you. I'm sorry you're going through this. Looked at me and goes, what do you need? And I was like, I think I was a little perplexed because I had never, that was, it was really direct. And I don't think it's people feel comfortable with being that direct in such a vulnerable moment. But I, it actually like made me step out of my emotion for a second and be like, what is it do I need in this moment to like carry me through the day? Um, and I never forgot it. It's such a, I, I think so often we try to like move people through pain and like, yeah. you know, I think we try to save people from feelings we don't know how to sit in. And one thing I noticed, uh, you know, after having been through like really profound transformations through heartbreak is that when someone tells me they're going through a breakup or they're in a form of like heartbreak or pain is I'm like, cool. Like not cool, good job, you know, but more like, all right, like there's nothing to save you from, you right. know, rather than like, because I know there's so much juice in, in those moments of transformation. Um, but what your friend was so great, like just showed up, what do you need? And and, and then you get to do the really beautiful job of doing an inventory and then expressing yeah. it, which is challenging, I think, as a human to like actually ask for what we need to be supported. Uh, I'm certainly one of those people that was like, I'm good. What do you need to everybody else? And when right. I fall into that place where I have no choice but to be supported, it's reminded me um, to, to, be, to surrender and be open. I love that. Mark, it was so awesome getting to know you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys want to follow Mark, he's Create the Love on Instagram and download the Mind app. It, I promise you will change your life. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, for people listening, if it's on both Android and iPhone. So you can you, you can go to downloadmindmined.com and it'll just automatically pop up on your phone uh, at cool. the App Store. All that is obviously linked in the description of this episode. We make it very easy for you guys. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.